Romans chapter 7. If you need a Bible, uh, we do have a few of them in the back. Uh, just raise your hand and somebody will get them, uh, get one to you. But we are going through the whole, uh, Lord willing, the whole chapter of Romans 7 together. Uh, so uh, it, it might be helpful for you to have one. Um, uh, and if uh, if you don't have a Bible and you've you've been here uh, and you need a Bible, that's your new Bible, or we'll buy you another one. Just let us know you need one. Um, but the encouragement is that we come to to church with our Bible so that we can understand it more uh, and know the Lord more and uh, study together. So uh, Romans seven. So uh, Paul is continuing his great doctrinal statement uh, in of the New Testament now. Uh, you might read through something like Galatians or, or uh, you know, Corinthians or something and see uh, the, the main theme of it was was correction. Or uh, there might be things of uh, an epistle with just guidance or, or, or an encouragement. And when you consider those things, uh, that's not what's happening here. Really, what Paul is doing, he's laying down the, the doctrinal uh, foundation that we're supposed to be living our lives by uh, based on. Uh, you know, the teaching of teachings of Jesus Christ. So uh, Paul is taking everything. And what he's saying is, is now that you are Christians, this is how you're, you're uh, supposed to live your lives. This is what it means to be a Christian and carry out our faith. So uh, and, and and what uh, what being a Christian means and uh, that we are that we are uh, delivered from being under the bondage uh, of sin and that we are no longer uh, uh, to live under the law. We know that that the Lord uh, we have freedom in Christ so that we don't have to try to gain uh, this uh, type of uh, righteousness from doing good things. Should we do good things? Absolutely. Should we trust in them for salvation? No. So there's there's the difference, though. Uh, so Romans seven is 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 quite a deep uh, a deep chapter. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into it here. But before we do, if you back up a couple verses into Romans six, uh, it, it'll set the stage for where we're picking up in verse one. So uh, in Romans six, it ends with verses twenty two and twenty three. It says, "But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves to God." You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what uh, Paul ends chapter 6, there weren't, uh, like it wasn't written out in chapters and verses. That's for, uh, it was added for us for reference. So as Paul was writing this letter, uh, where he ended in that point uh, was that we're no longer slaves to sin if we belong to Christ. And uh, we are now slaves to God, a, a, a wonderful one to serve, a, uh, a doulos, right, that, that we would uh, want to be. We were, we're, we're the lowest form of, of servant, but to a, a good master. Right. So to call ourselves slaves, well, like, wait a minute, I want to be free. I don't want to be a slave to anything, anybody that me if, if that is our heart, that means that we're already in our hearts. We're slaves to sin because what we end up doing is serving ourselves and whatever we want. Uh, and that will always lead us to sinfulness and emptiness in our lives. But being a slave to God is a wonderful thing because it says here you have your fruit to holiness and in the end, everlasting life. That's that's the, the the best thing we can ever come to is everlasting life. That when we breathe our last here, we breathe our first. Uh, it, you know, I don't think we're going to have lungs like we do that here and here. But we are we're spending our first moment 
in heaven with the Lord. So uh, the end here is our start to our eternal life. Uh, that's a, a, a blessing there. So I would much rather have fruit to holiness and uh, then to uh, deal with uh, the sin that was in my life, right? Because what does uh, Romans 6.23 say? It says, for the wages of sin uh, is death. You know, that, that's, that's the, the actual wage. When, what we receive in return from our sin is death uh, if we don't have a relationship with Christ. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's making that profound statement. You know, if we're ever sharing the gospel and we're not sharing something like that, we're doing it wrong. Okay, so if we're just if, if our sharing of the gospel is you're a sinner and you're going to hell if you don't re re repent and everything, we have to include the fact that the way to heaven and the way to be delivered from hell is through Jesus Christ and that there's eternal life in him and that it's a gift. It's the gift of God. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to start going, okay, what's my what's my uh, uh, my checklist of spiritual things I need to do to someday get to heaven? No, all it is is have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, Paul uh, just driving that uh, great point home. So now the theme in Romans 6, Paul addressed those, uh, well, during Romans 6, he addressed those who might want to embrace grace so that they can have a license to sin. Like, oh, well, God's going to forgive me anyway. I'm going to go do those things. What was his response to that? He said, you know, should we sin any longer? And he says, no. You know, uh, he says, certainly not. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? We're not, we're not supposed to conduct ourselves in that way. Romans 7, Paul is addressing those who want to cling to the law in legalism. So uh, it's the opposite of what's happening in chapter 6. 6, uh, the, the mindset might be, well, shouldn't I just sin? Because grace is going to abound anyways. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not the case at all. You're supposed to rejoice that grace abounds, but you're, you're now living in freedom from sin. And so uh, now uh, Paul's uh, focus is uh, the, the freedom from the law. And, uh, you know, there's a... Um, we uh, there's a mindset, a, a legalism that will come in uh, that Paul does address in, in several times in the New Testament that that we're not supposed to like say okay well now somebody now that somebody's come to faith in Jesus Christ that's great but now they have to abide by the law and then trust in grace and and that's not the case at all that's called legalism that's saying well you yes you have a faith in Jesus but that's not enough you actually have to do all these things also. So uh, so he'll address that. And uh, if in your personal reading you come to Galatians, that's much of what, what he's dealing with in Galatians. Is, and he even gets to the point where he calls them foolish Galatians. Like, what are you doing? What, you know, uh, who has bewitched you and, and, and those things? You, you, you're, you're forgetting the whole fact of grace uh, and, and that, that faith in Christ is, is how we're saved, by grace through faith. Uh, because if we're approaching God on our terms, then we have something to boast in, right? So in chapter 7, uh, he's, he's explaining you weren't justified by keeping in the law, and you can't be sanctified, set apart to God uh, by keeping the law. So uh, just understand there's a, there's a great warning that we should be uh, heeding against legalism. Uh, legalism is a, uh, a very dangerous thing It's uh, because then we can, uh, in our own hearts, we become prideful. And, and uh, well, I'm doing this and I don't do that and I'm doing this. Reminds you of the Pharisee, right? We've talked about the Pharisee several times where there's the Pharisee and the tax collector both going to God at the same time. 
there's the Pharisee that just thanks God that he's not like the sinner. And then you have the sinner that's saying, God, be merciful to me. You know, just just crying out. And Jesus said the one that went down justified is the one that was came with a broken heart over their own sin. Right. So so there's that that legalism is a very uh, uh, it's a it's a list of do's and don'ts. And there there are great warnings in the scripture against those things. You know, the problem is sin and our sin nature. So a legalist will typically be um, uh, very critical, unloving and unforgiving. Uh, so if we see those things you know, building in our hearts, let our hearts be warned and let us go to the Lord in repentance and say, wait a minute. I'm starting to be critical. I'm starting to be unloving and unforgiving. Those those things that are happening in my heart, and I, I, I bet that the Lord is going to reveal to us because we're starting to embrace legalism. You know, and, and so there's this balance that needs to happen in our lives. Yes, we need to obey the word of God, but we also need to understand that that our our salvation comes by grace through faith, by God's uh, unmerited favor through belief in Jesus Christ is how we're saved. How we live should be dictated by the word also. But if we start saying, well, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm doing this and, I'm, I, and, I, and we're going to see here, Paul is describing this, this, this torment that, that can happen inside a believer where you're like, I don't want to do this and I do want to do this and I end up doing what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do, right? I'm not trying to just throw you off or anything, but essentially that's what he's saying. There's there's this battle that happens within us uh, that that we uh, have to uh, we have to understand and be able to trust the Lord to give us victory in. So Paul is is describing in chapter seven that there's a new commitment to God through Christ uh, and that we're married to Christ and not to the law as we. Uh, pick up here in verse one. So again, where he ends in six and says, "But not having been set, uh, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." Verse one of chapter seven says, "Or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law." that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So where, where, where Paul is saying brethren, he's speaking to believers, uh, believing Jews or even Gentiles that have come to the faith, uh, where he calls them brethren. He's talking to people uh, that are, are believers, and he says, do you not know? So Paul's saying that they, uh, they would understand what he's saying about the law there. It's kind of like, you know what I'm saying, uh, that type of statement. He says, do you not know? And so you know what I'm saying for for us in our common, uh, you know, just normal talking. Hey, you know this, right? Or uh, or, or those things. That's what he's, he's saying to them. And he, what he says is the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. So he's speaking to those that would understand what that means. And he was reminding them that as, as long as somebody uh, is living outside of a relationship with Christ, then the law has dominion over them as long as they live. So he sets that tone. He's grabbing their attention with that. And now he uses an analogy of marriage in, uh, starting in verse 2. And he says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if, he, if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband, right? Till death do us part. That's often in, in our wedding vows. Verse 3 says, So then if while her husband lives, she lives, uh, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, 
she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. So again, Paul uses marriage as an example here. So uh, a, a woman, he says, uh, has uh, who has a husband is bound by law to him as long as he lives. Uh, that's why our wedding bands are a circle. They represent something with no end. Right. That's 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 why we give this. We don't give, as you've heard me say, we don't give a horseshoe to somebody and say, this is for as long as I do love you. And then I'm out. Right. You know, it's 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 not that at all. We're called to a lifelong um, a commitment. Marriage is designated to be a lifelong commitment. Genesis chapter two, verse 24 says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And Mark 10, verse 9, Jesus said, Therefore, what God has joined together, let me, no man, let not man separate. Probably heard those things uh, at a wedding, right? Because those are, when someone's exchanging that vow, they're saying, hey, we're going to be married. So, uh, again, lifelong commitment. Uh, this analogy isn't about marriage, though. He's not trying to, to make that point. He's using marriage to make a different point here. We'll get into more of this when we get into 1 Corinthians 7 uh, about those things. Uh, but for right now, he's just using marriage uh, to make a point here. So uh, in uh, verse 1, he's describing that as long as somebody is alive, they're under the, the law and it has dominion over them. Right, so Paul is using marriage as an example to aid the readers in understanding. In verse 3, he continued, he said, So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. So uh, Paul says it, what he's describing is, but if he dies, she is free from that law because marriage is sacred to the Lord and something that shouldn't be taking, taken lightly. So, uh, but uh, as I said, we're not going to get caught up in that now. We'll get into that in 1 Corinthians 7. Um, you know, a few months from now, we'll dive into that more. But uh, it, when we understand what he's saying here, when he uses marriage as an example, uh, he's, he's, he's hoping and, and this analogy is going to open their eyes to what he's saying here. And this gets really interesting when we get into to verse 4 here in just a moment. Uh, so, but essentially, uh, as we get into four, we'll see Paul finalizing this argument. Uh, and he says that they've died to the law. And in verse six, he says they were delivered from the law. So verse four says, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, who is Christ, uh, that we should bear fruit to God. So uh, when when we see uh, what we're what we're considering here, this analogy uh, was used to get the point across, right? That that this was uh, a lifelong commitment. But then he says here in verse four, therefore, my brethren, you have also uh, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. So uh, now understand in this analogy, we are the wife; we are not the husband. Okay, because you, you can kind of get uh, uh, mixed up there and go, oh, but if we died, wouldn't we be the husband? And no, what, what he's, he's, he's saying here is that if, if we consider us the wife in the analogy, the wife would have to die and come back to be able to remarry so that it wouldn't be called an adulteress. And that's exactly the point he's making, that if we are dead to sin, then we can be married to another. That's what he's saying here in verse four. He says, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, right? That you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we 
should bear fruit to God. So we are dead and raised to newness of life in Christ, right? And uh, we're uh, just as Christ was uh, raised from the dead, and now we can bear uh, fruit to God. So, and, and we're going to see here uh, when we get into verse five, it's talking about before we were bearing fruit to death but now bearing fruit to God as we live in Christ and we're married to him. We have that union to Christ. So when we were unsaved, we were under the authority of the law, condemned by the law, right? Uh, we discussed this in the past couple weeks. And um, then we came to Christ and we were unified with Christ. We were uni united together uh, with him in a marriage to him, that, that union we have with the Lord. Uh, so now we've died to the law, just like we died to the flesh. It's important to understand the law didn't die. We died to the law. Now, he does say here that they that he says, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Understand Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 say, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's a, a, a wonderful thing. Uh, to if, it, Definitely a highlight moment right there. Right, because what Paul is saying, and then he also says that again uh, to uh, the church in Colossae, and explaining to them that that they were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now reconciled to God in the body of His flesh through death to present us holy and blameless, and above reproach in His sight. First Peter chapter two verse twenty four speaks of uh, in in. Uh, I think this was the verse that uh, Oliver read this morning. Christ, uh, who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, uh, whose, by whose stripes you were healed. So when Paul is saying in verse 4, when he's talking about we become dead to the law through the body of Christ, and then it goes on to say, to him who was raised from the dead. We have these other scriptures explaining more of, of what that means and, and continuing to give us great emphasis on what that means. First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God, right? So if you look at verse four, it says to him who raised, uh, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And then Peter says here uh, that we wouldn't live uh, our time on earth for the, fl uh, the, the flesh and the lusts of men, uh, but for the will of God. So dead to the law, freed from it. Now married to Christ, no longer to the law that we should bear uh, fruit to God. That, that's how we bear fruit to God. Uh, if we, you know, when, when we see here, when we get to verse 5, it's, it, we're going to see that previously we were bearing uh, fruit to death. I'll take the fruit to, to God and the life uh, uh, over that any day. You know, we consider when we're uh, with the Lord and we're walking with him, there's a product that comes for our lives that's uh, called fruit to God. You know, consider a fruit bears uh, fruit. Uh, sorry, a tree bears fruit according to its kind. Right. Uh, you don't go to an apple tree and looking for pears and those things. But 
it's it, as we're walking with the Lord, uh, we should be producing a, a fruit to God that is uh, that is evident in our life and uh, and it reflects the fact that we're now married to Christ. Because when we trusted in him, uh, we arose from the dead and are now married to him. We're united to him uh, in a new kind of life. Uh, th so this, understand, this was all brand new. For the Christian, we were kind of, this, this is kind of where we started. But understand, these writers had never heard this before. So Paul really has to dive in and, and explain to them what this means, being freed from the law. And, and, and the, the, uh, that he actually says, well, the law was actually what was condemning you. And uh, when you can see uh, that the law would, would hold you to perfection, there was a point of perfection demanded by the law that they hadn't met. So, uh, so Paul uh, d just lays all this out and what this means to them uh, as Christians and how to live. So we just need to understand the law didn't die, but we died to it. And we're no longer under its dominion as we uh, live in Christ. We're now walking in a newness of life in the spirit. Verse 5 says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Now, uh, if we need to understand what this means, uh, what happens when we're told not to do something? <laughs> right? So when you're walking down the hallway, you ever been walking down the hallway and they're like, wet paint, do not touch. Do you ever go, does that still apply right now? <laughs> Seriously, right? Have you ever done that? I, I mean, even recently, I'm like, is it still wet? Don't touch it, right? You know, and I have to remind myself because I'll look and go, yep, okay, now there's a spot on the wall, right? Why does that happen? Because that's deep down inside of us. That's called a sin nature, right? Even though we're being told not to do, we do, right? Uh, I was listening to Joe Foch uh, just teach on this and and uh, he was speaking of Gail Irwin, a very uh, you know, great pastor, funny guy, right? That's what uh, what you really, uh, most people remember uh, when they've been uh, sitting under Gail's teaching was, that guy's funny, right? And uh, so he was explaining that when he and his wife were going out on a date, he told his kids, for some random reason, he's like, we're heading out of here, no shoving beans up your nose. Guess where they spent, you know, the evening at the emergency room, when they get back, they got beans. The kids shove the beans up their nose. Why? Because dad told them not to, right? There's a sin nature within us that wants to do the wrong thing, right? Why do I want to do those things? Because of sinful passions that are in our hearts, right? So these things are in our members, and these things uh, bear fruit uh, to death, right? We've we've studied this together in, in James chapter one, verses fourteen and fifteen. It says, "But each one, when he is tempted," uh, is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. Right? So, so there's that, that digression that ends up happening. Right? And it all starts with a desire uh, within our hearts when we're enticed by our desire. And then we want to start walking down and following our desires. It leads to sin. So uh, as, as we are considering verse 5, you know, those sinful passions that were aroused by the law uh, were at work. So what he's saying, they're aroused by the law. He's not saying, and, and he'll get that in here uh, in just a moment, is the, is the law wrong then? Because I was fine before this. No, the law tells us that we're wrong, 
That's what he'll go on to say is, no, you were living wrong. And the law came to tell us, no, you're not supposed to do those things. Verse 6, as the, our focus, we'll see that we are delivered from the law uh, here as we progress uh, through verse 6. It says, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. So the word where it says, but now. Uh, so he's he's made one point and now he uses a word of contrast and but and he says but now meaning from here on he's he says uh, we have been delivered from the law we died and then it goes on to say that we were died to what we were held by so uh, and he's he's already made the point that all that are living are bound under the law so the law can't exercise authority over someone who is dead so it goes back to the point. If we are dead to the law in Christ, the law doesn't have authority over us anymore. Do you see what it, you, are you picking up what he's saying here? He's, he's saying that we're not we no longer have to live under the condemnation that will come to us when we start looking at the law. And then we start looking at the law and we look in the mirror and go, man, I've, I've failed. And I've, I've, and, 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 but we're no longer under uh, the authority, that condemnation that can come to us. Uh, when we look at the law and go, I've failed. And, and, and then we come to a point of, okay, I've failed. Now what? What it should do is drive us to Christ where we can uh, experience newness of life in him. So we're no longer bound by the law trying to make up for our sins and our good deeds. That can't be done. And it's going to be an endless pursuit. It's going to rip out any joy and peace we have in our lives. And we're going to be exhausted. And we're not going to produce any fruit in our lives. Uh, there's, it's, it's going to be a point of, of great frustration because what is it, what it does is that leads to legalism and that legalism, like, uh, like we were discussing before, we'll get to a point where we just start judging everyone else and we, we lose the joy in our own life. So now that we've been delivered from the law, we should serve in a newness of spirit. You know, now we're uh, called to live life by grace and not by the letter of the law. Uh, you know, when you consider the law, you consider the commandments. They were written in stone. We're studying that in our Exodus study uh, right now on Wednesday nights. Uh, and uh, Moses was given the tablets of stone that were written, it says, by the finger of God. And he came down the mountain uh, and uh, in Exodus 32 sees everybody uh, committing uh, sin against the Lord in idolatry. And he, he gets mad and he throws down those Stones, And then we actually just studied this past Wednesday that he was told to cut out stones and bring them up and God would engrave them again for him. Right. But so the, the word of God was written on stone. But but when we consider uh, that the law is is now written on our hearts, Second Corinthians, chapter three, verse three says, clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. So we have God's law written on our hearts. And uh, so when, when we're considering the oldness, what it says here uh, in verse six, it says uh, that we're, we're now serving God in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter, that the Lord has the law written on our hearts. Right. So the new focus of our life uh, comes from God's grace through our union with Christ. Uh, so there's there's the contrast there from what he started with. We died to what we were held by. Uh, the law doesn't make us righteous. The law shows us our sin. 
Uh, so now we've been delivered in Christ and, and, and have a, uh, a newness of the spirit to walk in. So uh, we shouldn't have a confidence in the law to save us because that's not what the law was given to us for. Um, we should be trusting in the finished work of Christ. So if we believe in, in Christ and we've been new by, new, made new by him, we can stand uh, in his righteousness and, and can serve him in a newness that comes from the spirit. We've been delivered from trying to make ourselves holy and we can take on Christ and his righteousness and enjoy the union we have with him uh, as, as we walk through this life. So we're delivered from the exhaustive and inconclusive work that we're going to bring ourselves to and we can rest in him. Now, as we pro uh, progress through here, we're going to see a ministry of the law. What was the law here to do? And Paul now is moving past uh, the uh, where he was using the past tense, and he's moving now to the present tense. And as we discussed earlier, uh, you know, is the question is, okay, is there something wrong with the law? Uh, and he addresses that here in verse 7, and he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would uh, not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. So uh, Paul was ready for objections, right? So he would write out these, this, these questions and answers, and he'd say, I, basically, uh, you know, we could look at it this way. I know what you're going to say, so I'm just going to address it right now, right? You ever done that before where you know, okay, you're, you're going and you're presenting something. I know what's going to come up next. So you're probably thinking this, and, and, and then you can address it. Very similar, might give you a little bit of understanding of what Paul was doing when he says that here. So he's addressing this, uh, this potential objection with a question. And the law is not sin. And what he does say is that the law points out sin. It shows us right from wrong. The law brings our attention to the fact that we have a major problem in our lives. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, God gave us that. It's just the, the law acts like a thermometer. Uh, you know, consider the thermometer doesn't have the fever, right? The th thermometer is used for us to be able to determine, do we have a problem or do we not, right? Uh, if we consider it that way, we could, you know, that's an example of, of how the law works in our lives, right? So the law tells us the righteous standard. Um, now, uh, in grace, should we just say, well, I'm, I'm living in grace. I don't really have to worry about those things. Uh, should I just accept failure and yield to sin and just uh, just trust that God's going to um, uh, take care of everything? No. What did Paul say? Certainly not. We've died to that sin. We shouldn't live any longer in it. Uh, but we understand the law gives us a certain standard from him that we that we uh, are, are, are being told that, that the the law is, we're told in the scriptures that the law is a schoolmaster. It's a tutor for us to reveal to us uh, that we are, are sinners in need of a savior. And it points out our sinless, sinfulness. And uh, so it, it'll show us what's wrong. What is wrong in our, in our sinful nature? What needs to change about us? Uh, you know, what needs to come from our lives? That's what the law is designed to do. Uh, consider the law and, and, and what, it, what it can and cannot do. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So there is no flesh that will be justified by the law, is what's being said here, in his sight, in God's sight, right? Uh, and it says, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We've discussed this. Uh, so these are just verses that kind of go along with this. Romans chapter 4, verse 15 say, Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. 
So where there's no law, there is no transgression. We use the example, right, speeding. If the, 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 the speed isn't posted, we don't know. Okay, is it 55? Is it 85? Is it unlimited, right? I've been on the Autobahn before, right? I, I remember in Italy driving thinking, oh, hey, there's no speed limit. And then you see the little things taking pictures, right? And I realize I'm on the Autostrada. I'm not in Germany on the Autobahn, right? So I didn't get a ticket, thankfully. And, uh, but uh, they, they are uh, pretty gracious over there. They, they, Italians like to move fast. They like to do everything fast. Get out of my way. You know, you're standing in line. They'll walk right by you, and they'll just pay, right? We stay in line. And I got all offended. I was 19, 20 years old, and I'm standing in line trying to uh, you know, be respectful of everybody else. It's just a different world over there. They move fast. And they walk up, and they show them, and they throw the, food, the, the thing on there. And I'm going, what? there's a line here, you know, and, and uh, but uh, they – Anyways, yeah. Consider, consider. Uh, now, Paul uses the example of covetousness. He could have used anything. But he goes and he uses covetousness. And, and uh, that's an inward sin. And that inward sin will lead us to break the other commandments, right? Think about it. You know, I greatly desire this. I greatly desire that. And if we don't keep that in check and submit to the Lord and say, there's covetous, covetousness within my, or covetousness, however you say it, right? In my heart, right? And Lord, I want to confess that to you and I ask you to take it away from me. I'm greatly desiring this. You were teaching on this on Thursday, right? That's why he's laughing, right? So, and, and he did have, he, he was he was struggling with the word. So you and I are, yeah, we're brothers, right? So, uh, but covetousness, right? That we would covet something. Specifically, what's being addressed uh, in the Ten Commandments, is that we wouldn't covet somebody else's stuff, right? Not their their uh, their wife, their home, uh, you know, the their possessions and those things, right? Very easy to do, though, isn't it? When you're when you're you know you're driving the old rusty truck, and uh, you know neighbor drives up with the eighty thousand dollar brand new truck, you you go, I would like to have that truck, right? <laughs> so we have to keep our heart in check and go. Does my truck get me to where I'm going and you know, to and from and everything? Because covetousness within us might bring us to a point where I really want that and I want it so much, I'm going to put myself in a huge financial debt so that I can have that, right? Now, what happens when the neighbor you know, comes in with the next new thing, the, the new you know, zero-turn riding lawnmower, right? Okay, you see where that can go, right? It can destroy us financially, but internally there's something wrong uh, that, that needs to be addressed. And, and Paul uses covetousness, okay? Uh, consider in Mark chapter 10, when the Lord is speaking to uh, the, uh, the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes up and he says, good teacher to Jesus. And Jesus stops him. He's like, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. So he's making a point there, right? And then and he says, how do I inherit, inherit eternal life? And and the Lord, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So I think that's what he says uh, there. I, I can't remember. His, what he's basically saying is, love the Lord. He's telling him, love God, love your neighbor. He's like, oh, I've done these things from my youth, right? There's a summary of it. So, um, and, and Jesus says, well, well, well done. And then he looks at him and he says, and he, he, he's telling him, he, and he goes, what else do I need to do? And he says, go and sell all you have and give to the poor. And it revealed a covetousness within this rich man. He's already rich. He already has a lot. The covetousness that, that he couldn't let these things go. These things were too important to him. And he went away sorrowful. Instead of confessing and going to the Lord and going, you're right. You're right. And going to do it. The covetousness ruled his life. 
And Jesus put his finger right on it. And the man went away sorrowful. It doesn't say that Jesus sent him away. It says that he chose to walk away sorrowful. He walked away, standing in the presence of Jesus. So Paul uses covetousness as an example to point out something. Because, uh, it, it, you know, if it's thou shalt not steal, right? What did Jesus say about adultery? If a man were to look on a woman and, uh, and to lust after her, he's already committed the adultery within his heart. That sin is an internal problem. It's not an external. It becomes an external problem, right? But it, sin at its, at its core is an internal problem that needs to be dealt with. Verse 8 says, But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all uh, manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 56 and 57 say, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, when you consider, you know, what's the natural tendency for most of us, uh, as we discussed earlier, when we're told not to do something, right? We want to do it. We want to do it. So that when we see, okay, hey, this is the law. This is the thing that's being laid down. I want to do the, those things. And when we have opportunity to do it, uh, are we, are we going to obey that or are we, are we not going to? Uh, you know, I, I love that, that Paul shared in Corinthians that, that he said that the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We want victory over those things. It, that victory is found in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says, Because the natural mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. There's a war happening within our, our, our uh, within us that we're going to see as it uh, continues to uh, develop here as we're reading through here. So the law itself is not wrong or sinful, but our sinful nature that wants to rule and reign, that's our problem. You know, when, when Paul says, I was alive once uh, without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Uh, and then he, he uh, also we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, the strength of sin is the law. Paul recognized sin uh, before in his life. He was very confident in his flesh, right? And he, he, and he says that. He's like, if anybody could have been confident, it was me. And he gives his religious um, a resume to everybody. If there's anybody that could have been confident, it was him. And, and he's saying no. But when he uh, can get a proper reflection of, of what the law is showing him, the law is showing him that he's sinful, that he's wrong and in need of a savior. Reveal the sinfulness. Verse 10. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and it killed me. So the law is perfect and sinless. The law uh, doesn't give life, though. You know, it points out the sinner's sin, as we've discussed. Uh, so we're guilty and condemned under the law. Legalism, we can, be, we can find ourselves clinging to the law. And we cling to something that can't save us. Verse 12, therefore, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. So when, when he makes those statements and then he goes, therefore, we need to understand properly that the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me. 
uh, through what is good, so that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. So the law is just and holy and good. The law reveals sin and shows us that there's something really wrong that needs to be fixed. We've discussed that, right? He's driving this point home. He's, he's, he's hitting every point that he needs to. Has what is good become death to me? He says, certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death uh, in me through what is good. Through the law, you know, the law doesn't produce sin. It points it out. He's not saying that the that law comes from sin. He's saying that the law is responsible to point out the sin. Sin is the problem, not the law. So if we go back and say, well, I'd be fine if the law didn't say these things. No, you're not fine because the law is telling you that you're not fine. And so there's that that uh, that thing that he's 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 addressing and dealing with. So uh, there's a I have a encouragement for Christians. Uh, you know, it's very popular, especially in today's world, to use the words like mistake and weakness uh, in our lives instead of saying the word sin. Guys, we cannot shy against the word sin. We can't. If, if, if we're afraid to say the word sin, then we're not going to be able to properly display uh, what the gospel is to somebody and explain it to somebody, right? We have to be able to describe what the problem is. We can't say the problem is mistakes. We can't say the problem is weaknesses. The problem that mankind has is sin, right? It's sin. It's that willful disobedience against God's word. God's word says this, but I don't like that. That's our problem, right? That's the, the in, uh, in and of itself, that's our problem. We have to be able to understand that, that is, it's wrong to do that. We, we can't say these, uh, uh, yes, do we make mistakes? Yes. Uh, do we have weaknesses? Yes. But we have to be able to come to the point in our own lives and be able to talk with somebody about uh, sin. What, what, what is that? What, you know, our, our weaknesses, uh, you know, our own desires and these things that are against God's word are what we call sin. And God wants us to realize that, that our sin, as it says here, is exceedingly sinful. There shouldn't be any compromise within our life. Uh, we can't allow sin uh, to grow at all. The sin is not able, uh, sorry, the law is not able to save us. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So uh, three men are identified in the scripture, the natural man, the carnal man, and the spiritual man. The natural man is the unsaved man. The carnal man is the believer that's living a compromised life and not ready to sp specifically to receive uh, the things of the Lord. And the last being the spiritual man walking in the spirit. And we're going to get into that more when we get to, to Romans chapter 8. But when we understand in the scriptures there are three men that are, are presented. The natural man, the carnal man, and the spiritual man. I would encourage us all to want to be on the, the, the last one there, the spiritual man or woman, right? So the battle, especially now, uh, for a new believer when we look at this, uh, but not necessarily just for somebody who's new, but there should be growth that happens in our life that we're not stuck in this spot, right? But look at what, what Paul is saying here. So Paul dives right into what I said when we were beginning uh, here in, in this, this battle, this war that happens within us. Verse 15 says, For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. 
But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who does it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law. The evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. So we, uh, we can't serve God and the old nature. We, we just, we can't do that. So there's this war that happens. In verse 18, it says, he says, uh, he, he, there, uh, verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells for uh, to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, uh, I do not find, right? And he goes on to say, nothing good dwells uh, in my sinful nature, right? That fallen nature within, you know, we don't do the good we want to do and we do the thing we don't want to do. Does that sound familiar to any of us? Ever, ever battled with the sin within us? Yeah, join the club, right? Oh, man, I'm trying to do all these things, and I'm trying to do these things. You know, we, we may wake up with the best intentions in a day, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do all these things. I'm not going to lose my temper. Uh, I'm not going to do these things. And then what happens, right? What happens? You trip over the dog. Stupid dog, right? And, you know, you go up, you open the refrigerator. Uh there's no creamer for your coffee in there. Oh, no creamer here. Oh. And, and we see what is happening. And within our life, we can go into it uh, in our own flesh and say in our mindset, I, you know, I, I want this to happen. And I want to do these things and we can strive. We are going to fail. We are going to fail. We are sinners. We are sinners. And, but what we have to do is we have to recognize where we're sinning and go to the Lord and say, God, I'm confessing this in you. I have sinned, right? We can go to God. We don't have to try to trick God and be like, yeah, God kind of slipped up, made a mistake. No, God, I have sinned. <laughs> I have done something wrong. Please forgive me. And he's gracious and he's going to forgive us. Paul's talking about the spiritual struggle that's within us, you know, and, and hopefully as we grow in our faith, this battle that's that being described here, that this battle starts to die down. Right, because the sanctification process, God purging sin out of our lives, that we're that we're becoming more and more like Christ as time goes by, that this battle that was once raging on will someday come to a point where it settles down, where we realize, you know, the inner enemy, our sinful nature, uh, it, it can be defeated by the power of Christ, and and we'll get into that here in just a moment. Uh, but as we learn in our walk, so we need to be encouraged, right? Uh, I. Uh, heard a, a, a neat quote uh, in its, uh, from Spurgeon. It says, dead men don't fight. Dead men don't fight. That's an important thing for us to, to realize. You ever been to a point where you've, strove, you, you've been fighting against something uh, for so long and you get to a point where you're like, I, I don't even know if I have the spirit of God in me. I mean, shouldn't I have victory over this by now? The fact that we're still fighting against this is evidence that the spirit dwells within us that there's a fight against it, rather than giving and yielding to that, we're yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit, and we still want to fight against those things. Dead men don't fight. I love that. Uh, that's a cool tattoo, right? Um, the Spirit enables us to do His will as we yield to Him. 
There is, remember what Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me and he says, and I himself daily take of his cross and to follow me. There's a daily death to ourselves that has to happen that we might be able to follow Christ. Verse 22 says, for I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. Paul's saying, I delight in God's, God's law. But, you know, in my inward man, my, like in my core, I love God's law. But he's like, but there's, all, there's this part in me that I had to, that, that has to be defeated. And he says, he describes it here as another law in verse 23. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. So that, that other uh, law inside sin warring against us. Uh, in, in when he says warring against the law of my mind, uh, we have to consider Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of uh, it springs the issues of life. We have to get to a point where we can identify if our heart is trying to go uh, astray. We need to be able to keep our heart. We need to, with our mind, identify what's happening, what we're being presented with, and what is my proper response to what, what is being presented to me. This sin is being presented. My flesh wants to do it, but I know it's wrong. I have to go to the Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, please give me the strength. And then, and and He's going to give us that strength, right? The way of escape. Uh, that uh, we uh, we have to understand that when we're tempted by something, we're not being tempted by something that's that's uncommon to man, right? We're being tempted by. Uh, with something that can be defeated when we go to the Lord and because we understand that he gives us that way of escape uh, and, and a, a way out of the situation, right? We're not like, well, I couldn't do anything. I, I mean, the TV was on. I, what am I supposed to do? Like, I, I couldn't, can't just walk away from it. Yes, that's our way of escape. Or unplug it, throw it out the window, right? You know, you know those things, you know? If you were, did, did Will share that in his last thing here did I uh, he shared it when he was here right okay because I watch him online too and I couldn't remember but but when he saw you know pornographic imagery on his not looking for it just flipping through channels what did he do he rips the cable box out and literally rips it off the thing and throws it down by the road and says come get your stuff I'm done with it right we have to take that approach to those things right and, and, and be able to in our mind identify what's going on we have to be able to guard our hearts because the scriptures tell us that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. Uh, you know, that, that song, I've, I've said it before, listen to your heart. No, you know, when he's calling for you. No, don't listen to your heart because it's going to, you know, lead you astray. I don't, I, I'm not a songwriter. Um, but anyways, there's another law that wants to bring us into captivity, sinful desire. You know, um, consider sinful desire, right? Ever been to a point where, you know, you've, you've had enough to eat and, uh, and then, you know, you're stuffed to the gills, you know, uh, here we are, we're about to have a uh, fellowship dinner. Many of us are probably going to get to that point. And then Corey's butterscotch pie is going to get, you know, put out here. I, I, I'd like to claim, I don't claim anything, but I do want to slice that pie, <laughs> right? I love butterscotch anything, right? We'll be like, no, I can't. We had a kid over at our house one, uh, one time and, and, uh, I won't say her name. Um, but we were having Chinese food. And, you know, the kids said, hey, you know, uh, let's have Chinese food. So we're having Chinese food and we're sitting there eating and this kid just didn't want to eat, you know. So um, and uh, she didn't want to eat what was on her plate. She only wanted the teriyaki beef. OK, so there's a whole. So she's given a piece of teriyaki beef 
and uh, she's got everything else on her plate, like rice and, and sweet sour chicken and whatever else we would have had, right? And uh, so we look, and there's like a you know one uh, spoonful of whatever she was eating there is gone, and and there's like a, a thing broken up. What you do as kids, right? You break it up, you try to push it to the side, make it look like you ate more, right? She's like, I'm full. And I'm like, oh, okay, well you don't. It, can I have more chicken? You know what she meant is, can I just sit here and can I just eat teriyaki beef, right? So the mindset for her was, I just want more of this. I, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to lie to you and tell you I'm full, but I really want more, right? That's how, that's how our sin can work, right? I'm full, I'm stuffed to the gills, but there's more, right? There's a, there's a desire for more uh, that, that's just going to uh, just continue to ask for more. This may not be good for me. I don't need uh, this extra food. I'm already glutted. I'm already, you know, I can't even breathe. You know, ever been to that point? Um, you know, all you need to do is... I've watched a specific person in this room uh, order a 54-ounce steak before. I won't say his name, but his initials are Shane King. So, right? So, so I watched it. It's called a tomahawk steak, right? And it's got this big piece of uh, – of, uh, they don't even sell it anymore. Um, but uh, it's and, – and I'm joking. He did share it with everybody and everything. But at that – and it got to the point where he couldn't even move, Right? And, and, and you, you know, you've been there, the, you know, the waiter, waitress comes over and they're like, you got room for dessert? And the answer is no. But what do you do? Right. You go to, you go to, um, governors afterward and you get a massive, you know, so I've seen this happen. Right. And I've done it before. You know, I was there. We want to do that. Our, our sinful flesh, our flesh has that desire, right? The sin has that desire for more. So yes, we can walk, uh, and, and be in the freedom of Christ, but we still have a dirty, rotten, stinking flesh to war with in our life that we have to get under control. Uh, that doesn't do what we want to do and, and wants to do what we shouldn't. But as we grow with the Lord, uh, we should get stronger against that. Wrap this up here. Verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. Ever been to that point in your life? Yeah, ah, man, I, I, I hate this sin. I hate this sin. I hate it so much. You know, who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? Uh, Will has shared with us before here, and I've, uh, I've heard other teachers share, uh, that some will actually share body of sin, that there were governments to teach somebody a lesson. Oh, you want to kill somebody? Okay. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to strip you down naked, and we're going to strap the person to you that you killed. And you're going to carry them with you. And as their body decays, you're going to experience an, an infection and, you, and it's going to take over you and you're going to die. Right. That body of death. OK. Think of sin that way. Should we want to keep that with us? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Right. We don't want to keep those things around there with us. Who will deliver me from this? Who will separate me from this body of death? Who will give me victory is what he's saying here. I thank God through uh, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, and there's an exclamation point there, and I'll finish out the, the, the sentence there in just a moment. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where he, he's, what he's saying is, is that's where the victory is going to be found. You know, Paul, consider what Paul, uh, how God used Paul and how mightily he used him. You know, he was redeemed by the Lord, uh, and he was a persecutor and murderer of the church, filled with the Holy Spirit, radically changed by Christ. 
Uh, he would preach the gospel. He would go and, and plant churches, this man. Uh, you know, how much uh, change had happened in his life. He, he preached boldly and even suffered for, for preaching Christ's message. And the Lord told him he would. He was used to heal the sick and the lame. You know, used by God, uh, you know, consider uh, when Eutychus fell three stories and it says that he, he laid there dead. Uh, you know, the Lord used Paul. Uh, you know, Paul went down there and, and, uh, and picked him up and, and they brought him back up, right? This man uh, is, is explaining a struggle within even his own, his own self, you know? We, if we want some encouragement, just remember that Spurgeon quote, dead men don't fight, right? Our victory is found in Christ alone. You know, we're humans, we're sinners. And the encouragement here is to understand that he is the one that will deliver us from this battle, this, this body of death, it says here. So God uh, still loves us. Don't give up. Press into him. Turn to him when we're presented uh, with sin. You know, there is relief. There is hope. Uh, in Christ. Just stay plugged into the Lord. Seek his face. Uh, die to the sinful desire. When we see the sinful desire coming up, say, nope, the Lord calls me uh, out of that. He's redeemed me from that. God will take us to a point where uh, it says here, the wretchedness, um, he'll take us from wretchedness uh, and we can live in his righteousness. It ends here, he says, So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He's not saying that at the same time he's serving them both. He's saying there's this, this battle. So then, with my mind, the inward man wants to serve the Lord, but there's a, a sinful uh, desire here that needs to be um, beat. It needs to be uh, conquered, and by the power of Christ it can be. You know, uh, you know, our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. We understand this thing, this here, but you know, our bodies aren't sinful, but our nature is. So, you know, it's it's not our hand that sins, right? It's it's the nature within us that causes our hand to reach out and steal or take or, or do whatever it is. You know, it's the sinful nature in us that needs to be defeated, uh, and and we need to just trust the Lord uh, that He's going to give us the victory within our lives. So the secret to victory with us uh, in, our, in our lives and the, the secret uh, to victory over the sinful desires uh, within our hearts and, and uh, that, that sin that wants to take over is us yielding our desires to the will of the Father and saying, you know, I, 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 by the power of the Holy Spirit, saying, no, God does not want this. Christ has freed me. Spirit, give me the strength I need so that I can be obedient uh, to what the Word says. Last scripture to share with you to encourage us. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 say, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So I encourage you to read ahead to Romans 8. Uh, where we find the victory that we uh, so desire uh, in the Holy Spirit. So uh, spend some time, read ahead, get into Romans 8. Uh, there's a lot there. It's a long chapter. There's a lot to say there, but just read and the Lord's going to reveal to you. Um, so let's pray. Father, we are grateful, Lord, that we are not uh, under the dominion of the law anymore, that we're, we're dead to the law because of what Christ did for us. 
Lord, and we can live in a newness of life, and we can live uh, free from the power of sin in our life. We praise you. We love you. We thank you that, that we can live in victory. Give us that victory, Lord. Help us to yield to the Holy Spirit as you minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.